Frothers and Sorors, the Imperator of the Rosicrucian Order Amorc, Ralph M. Lewis. Frothers and Sorors, I recently received a very interesting letter from a frother. He said, we as Rosicrucians are not faithless. Then, how can we accept without reservation that the cosmic masters always know what you will do in the future? Would it not destroy man's liberty to obey or disobey his conscience and create his own destiny if his actions were predetermined? The above statement to which the Frater refers appears in the Rosicrucian Manual. First, it is necessary that the Frater carefully reread the sentence which he quoted. It will be noted that he says that the Masters always know what you will do. However, knowing the proclivities or tendencies of an individual does not mean the compulsion of that individual. The statement does not say that there is an impelling of the individual at all times by an external force which deprives the individual of the functions of his own reason and will. Let us use the analogy of a school teacher who is quite familiar with the intellectual capacity, the mental functioning, and the will of her students. She knows in advance just what some of her students will do under particular circumstances. She knows, for example, that Johnny is a procrastinator. He will put off the study of a subject until the very night before an examination. He will then cram for it a very few hours before. He will thus get a passing grade but will not retain knowledge which has been gained in that fashion. She likewise knows that Mary is a very good student, but a highly sensitive and emotional child. Mary will study conscientiously in advance of her tests. Under the excitement of the actual examination, her results will not be satisfactory due to her emotional state. Subsequently, however, Mary will remember what she has studied. Now in the example shown above, no one could say that because the teacher knew the characteristics and personality traits of these students and how they would act, that she was exercising a fatalistic control of them. After all, the students could have changed their habits and could have done otherwise without any intervention on the part of their teacher. So it is with the cosmic masters. These intelligences know by their psychic contacts our proclivities, but they have not dominated our wills or our thinking. The whole subject of cosmic masters is very important mystically. Because of its intriguing nature, it is likewise a subject which is likely to overstimulate the imagination of some Rosicrucian members. This is particularly due to
to the popular mystical literature written on the topic, which is not only exaggerated, but deliberately falsified to make a fiction-like article. The obvious improbability of many such fantastic claims has resulted in skepticism upon the part of many otherwise sincere students of mysticism. It has caused them to figuratively close the door to the real help which can come from a proper understanding of the cosmic masters. Cosmic masters, fathers and sorors, are not deities. They are not a hierarchical order of saints and angels. The cosmic masters are intelligences who were once mortals. They were, as Rosicrucians are clearly told in their monographs, men and women who on earth at one time successfully mastered their lives. This mastering did not necessarily consist of succeeding in worldly enterprises as the accumulation of great wealth or the attainment of posts of mundane power or fame. Rather, these masters were those who cultivated and liberated the spiritual powers of their own being and caused them to vanquish the limitations of the physical side of their nature. As the monographs relate, the cosmic masters were mortals who overcame the temptations which would degrade and enslave them to human vices and weaknesses. They mastered by learning how to awaken and apply the powers of self so that they could truly direct, as mastership requires, the affairs of their lives consonant with cosmic purposes. By such development, these individuals rose to that soul personality development where it became no longer necessary for them to incarnate in physical form their cosmic lessons having been learned. Their inner consciousness with its wisdom lingers on in the cosmic just as the perfume of a bouquet of wild flowers after the flowers have been removed from a room. One of the greatest misunderstandings surrounding the topic is involved in just how these masters are to help mortals on earth and how they are to be contacted. We all know that many persons are indolent by nature and inclined to pass their responsibilities on to others, especially if such entails any labors and sacrifices. In the same way we find that there is a tendency more and more for individuals to have their government assume duties which are in fact their own. So too Many hope and want to believe that the cosmic masters will guide them or in fact put them aright in every problem with which they are confronted. As just stated, the cosmic masters had lived on this earth plane as we do. In their times, they had equivalent worldly problems with which to contend. They knew of sickness, adversities, economic problems, war and strife. They knew of the temptations in which the flesh is subject. Nevertheless, 
they mastered by surmounting these experiences they suffered. They learned and finally were able to call upon spiritual powers resonant within themselves for aid when necessary. Therefore, for one to ask or expect these cosmic masters to serve him in the ordinary affairs of living would be to brand himself as a weak character before them. In other words, until, fathers and sorors, you have proved yourself worthy by a sincere and deliberate effort to meet and master your own problems, as these cosmic masters once had to do, you cannot ask or expect cosmic aid from them. There is an old adage that one cannot enter court with unclean hands. This old Roman precept referred to one asking a court of law to aid him when he himself was in violation of the law to which he was appealing. Most certainly, if such an ethical principle was considered in man-made courts, it would likewise apply in cosmic affairs. One cannot expect literally that a cosmic master is to be assigned to him as a personal servant and guide combined. There will be no whispering in our ear by a cosmic master, as our late imperator said, to cause the right decisions in every little affair in which we should exercise our own judgment. Such an attitude is, in fact, an insult to the exalted place and function of the cosmic masters. Second, until we have prepared ourselves, we are not worthy of the assistance the cosmic masters will give. Further, when we do prepare ourselves, we know better than to expect cosmic assistance in trivial, mundane affairs. One must try to live a morally clean life. His thoughts during contemplation must be pure in the immediate physical sense. He must have striven to follow the dictates of the inner self. If one is hypocritical, adopting a perfidious, virtuous attitude in his relations with others, but who in reality is vulgar, profane, and immoral in his conduct, he will never make contact with the cosmic masters, no matter how urgent the appeal may be. It is not possible, or rather we should say, the cosmic masters will not consort with those who have created about themselves a malevolent, degrading environment. If you create about you, by your thinking and behavior, a low, heavy, impenetrable fog, you can never expect to see the bright stars which shine in the great vault of the heavens. Some students of mysticism think that the phrase, when the pupil is ready, the master will appear, implies that such readiness comes about without any objective concern on the part of the individual. They believe that this readiness is a kind of mystical growth that matures like some glandular function without the necessity of the individual consciously doing anything to cause it. Such students are deceiving themselves. They will learn only too late 
that they must become the prime mover in making themselves ready for contact with the cosmic masters. To use an analogy for better understanding, when your home is ready for public utilities and their services, such as water, gas, electricity, telephone, and the like, the utility companies will connect or install the various devices for you. If you do nothing to get your home ready for such installations, you will never enjoy such services. The assistance and guidance which one derives from the cosmic masters is in the form of inspiration and intuitive instruction in momentous matters. It likewise follows after you have exercised your own reasoning and your own personal powers. Such assistance may come in that form which is popularly styled a hunch. It may come as a sentence, as a suggestion that one do this or that and not do something else. It will never come if you merely wait for it without first exercising your own powers of mind. Further, such suggestions or advice will not be an absolute compulsion, as we have said. You will always be permitted to exercise your own will, to oppose the suggestion or to accept it. If you reject such prompting, your act will usually be to your regret. The fact that you can exercise your will independently disproves any argument of fatalistic influences. There is a statement in our Rosicrucian monographs that as humans we are free agents. As masters we are obliged to cooperate with nature's laws and be constructive in our thinking and in our doing. This means that once we have learned nature's laws and so mastered them that we can direct them, we are then conscious of our obligations to the extent that we will never depart from them. We will refuse to exercise our will against them. The cosmic master whom we may contact when we are prepared is one whose earthly experiences the knowledge he has acquired here as a mortal are best adapted to counseling us in our present stage of development. It is one who will understand our weaknesses and our inner conflicts. Consequently, as the Rosicrucian monographs point out, all individuals do not have the same cosmic master. Because members have learned the names of two or three of such eminent cosmic masters from mystical literature which they have read, they are inclined to think that such ones are their personal masters, as if there were no others in existence. The masters very rarely reveal their personalities, for they want to remain anonymous. They do not wish to unduly influence the person whom they are aiding, or to incur any personal worship. Consequently, 
It is a rare phenomenon if they appear in any way objectively. They do not perform demonstrations or miracles just to satisfy the curious or to prove their own powers. Such fatuous displays would be beneath their cosmic dignity. Those who ask for it indicate they are not ready for the help of the cosmic masters. A rather simple distinction can be made between intuition and the voice of the cosmic masters. Although, as said, a master will rarely reveal himself in form, there is always a characteristic sign or symbol which accompanies contacts with him. Sometimes the contact will be accompanied by the psychic visual experience of a color which will always pass before one's inner consciousness. It would be like a flashing band of purple or of violet or some other color of mystical significance. With such contact, there also may be a combination of musical notes as a chord by which the cosmic master will be identified. Sometimes a phrase of two or three words as a signature to a message will be given. The phrase may consist of foreign words or intelligible words, but they will always be the same. There are those who have experienced a scent or odor as of roses or of incense accompanying such contacts.